want to hear about a mission that's impossible? Maybe. I mean, I'm far more interested in, in, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> I feel like there's about to be like 27 things you're more interested in, <laughs> and you're like, uh, <laughs> no, no, one, no, no, no one's no. gonna listen. And no, you're not no, gonna no, I'm, yeah, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, I, I, it's it's a short story. It's it's really just doing a new release. That's uh, what I guess old. four months four months late. <laughs> Four, four months um, late. It's it's July. Yeah, beginning of July. Yeah. yeah. So hello and welcome. Yeah. Welcome to the Movie Med Podcast. I am Peter, the 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 one half of the Movie Man Podcast, and that is Brady, the other half of the Movie Man Podcast. That was a good save. You you were like really struggling to figure out what you were, and you were just like, uh, uh, quick math. Okay, there's two of us. And <laughs> well, I was trying to decide where where to go down. I almost went down to beating us up on being tardy, but I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to beat that dead horse. We're still we're still here for Mission Impossible Seven. You know, yep. sure it's a bit late, yep. but on the other hand, we're doing our listeners uh, a favor. Yeah, because if we if we set out the night Dead Reckoning Part One was released, and we we did like a live episode to get it into the listeners' ears that night. Then they'd be having to wait a whole year before they could hear our review of part two. This and way, they probably we, will have to anyways because. But, but this way you we're won't softening. See it. <laughs> we're softening the blow. You right. know, we're we're closing the gap by a couple months. It's sure. really with the listener in mind. Well, I I'm actually I'm so excited to be here and talking with you about Mission Impossible when Chat GPT takes over. Um, oh no sorry that's the wrong that's 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 not what it's called it's called mission impossible ethan does close-up magic for birthday parties is what it's is what it's called in the most i i mean we'll get into it we'll get into it but but honestly in the most like you know, uh, I know it's not in the script, but there's there's this thing I can do, and I'd really like it to be in the movie. So, if you could just have me do a little sleight of hand with with the key at one point, work, work it in. Yeah, work just it work in. it in. Work it yeah. in. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make any sense. Just work it in. Just the end. Just go for it. I can't remember. Do we do on these more structured episodes? Do we do initial impressions? We must. We don't. So here's, we don't. here's what okay. we're going to do. We're going to get into the magic stuff just because I'm curious when we get there to discuss it a bit more. And it'll be interesting because interesting, I remember there being some slightly awkward sleight of hand magic in the original Mission Impossible movie. But um, no, no initial impressions. Basically, we'll have you briefly break down our ranking system that we've done for right. this and all the other movies. And then right, we'll get into right, it. Right, 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 right. Well, the way it works is we are not wanting to to rate these movies in a way that is subjective, right? Like we're, we're, I mean, it's subjective because it's our opinion of it, but we're wanting to, we want the final number that we give to be as ironclad as we possibly can. And so what we've done is we have taken eight categories. Now this is left over from our 007 series. We took it and kind of adapted some of the categories a little bit. Yeah, recycled a little bit. Yeah, but those categories are plot, 
Tom Cruise's performance, mm-hmm. villain, mm-hmm. gadgets, fights slash action, romantic mm. interest, supporting characters, mm. and the intro sequence. And we rank yeah. each one of those categories, one after another, on a scale of zero to ten. And we take all eight numbers at the end, we find the average, mm-hmm. and that gives us our score for the film. Now, now, Brady, what do we do with these scores of the film? Like, is this... To give us just which is the best Mission Impossible, or are we, you know, does this tell us if we only had to pick one, which is the one we'd have to show someone that represents the series so much? Like, what is that kind of breaking down? What does that scale lead I, us to? I mean, I think it's it's us trying to get the bo- to the bottom of which in in order what is the best to worst Mission mm-hmm. Impossible films because there's a lot, and that's the fun thing that lends this series and series like this lend to having a scale like this because they all have some commonality of the way we rank them and we can uh, we can see where they end up. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, uh, should we Let's just roll. dive in? That's all right. All right. Let me just pull up my, let me pull up my thing here. Okay. So, kicking things off in the category of plot. Mm. And I will tell you straight up, there are a number of things from this film that I want to talk about or I feel like I should talk about because there are things that I enjoy or there are things that I don't enjoy. And I'm not sure where they fit. Huh. Right? Like, I don't, I'm like, ah, is that like, is that a plot some, yeah, thing? Or, I like, get what you mean. Cause some of them overlap or some of them don't really. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes it's like, Oh, you know, that was bad writing, mm. but it's dialogue. It's not really plot. And yeah. Yeah. You know, this is the person that said it, but it's not really their performance. It's what was in the script and like, you know, so I don't know. But okay, so for plot, I gave it an eight. I think, um, I think it's a straightforward, easy to follow plot. And that's Mm -hmm. always, that's always number one. Yeah. In these types of films, because it is very, very, very easy in this espionage, um, super spy, James Bond, Mission Impossible kind of thing to end up with something that unless you're Tom Clancy, you don't understand. Like, it, it, the, the political, governmental, military espionage lingo can very, very quickly go over your head. It, it can get pretty convoluted. Yeah, and you don't know, you're like, you're like okay, so uh, this guy's after something, and I think it's that thing, but I don't mm. really understand why, yeah. and then there's these people, and uh, and are they, like, are they against this person? Like, what's, you know, this film doesn't really have any of that, and so that is, at least for me, and so that is a, that's a big up. Be- especially because it would have been easy to fall into that because the plot, the MacGuffin of this film, the MacGuffin is is something that every party in the film is interested in. And we mm. see that later on. We see good guys who, you know, like there's moments where, where you don't know what's going on because people who you understand to be good guys are showing up in shady conversations and whatever, but it's literally just because 
everyone is doing what's in the best interest of their government. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and that leads to a little bit of betrayal. It leads to a little bit of, yeah, for the next five minutes, we don't really get along because I, you know, I get you're a decent person, but you want that. And I also need that. So, um, so they did a good job with that. I think it's, it is a pertinent plot, right? It, it is relevant. It is, you know, as we are, in the last couple of years now in the age of artificial intelligence, right? Mm. That's, that's the age we're in now. Yeah. I'm, I can't pinpoint when that change happened, but clearly that change has happened. We've Mm -hmm. gone from the digital age to the AI age. Um, and so it's, it's, it's on point, right? Like it's a relevant, it's a relevant topic. Um, so I think, I think that's all good. Um, there's some other things that I, I think we'll get into a little bit more with like villain and stuff like that. The one thing I will say is I think it was really cool to bring in someone from Ethan's past in that way. Like that the series is still finding ways to reach back and kind of make this well-crafted spider web of Ethan's story where he's never, it's, you know, we're never just moving forward. We're mm. never just like, you know, looking at, at what's to come. If I could have changed anything, mm-hmm. I would have made, and this is kind of part of the villain thing, kind of not, I would have made it that the villain was not only someone from his past, but maybe someone that we knew from like the first film or something, right? Like to go back to someone we know so that we can share in some of that, oh shit, that Ethan's feeling, you know? But anyways, I give it an eight. Easy to follow, fun, interesting, and super relevant. Right. Yeah, I would echo most of it. I gave the plot a seven out of 10 what you're wanting out of these you know you're just wanting something simple where you know what each character's motivation is what they're doing why they're wanting to do it and who they're doing it with and uh, like you said sometimes it can get a little convoluted hard to follow this wasn't that it was very audience friendly and for that i gave it a seven out of ten i was happy cool cool oh the big one tom cruise's performance (laughs) And I got to be honest, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I gave it a six. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the close-up magic thing, which I'm sure he had a hand in making that a part of it. Um, in the intro sequence, you get that, like, you know, where he's talking, again, without giving away too much from the intro sequence category. See, this is the trouble I had. Everything mm-hmm. falls into, like, multiple categories. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole, like, you know, I, I get that he's got, you know, the delivery guy's got to identify himself and that's all cool. And, but then Tom Cruise is like, no, you have to ask me the, now you have to ask me the, you know, the whatever question. And the kid's like, okay. And he asks the question and Tom Cruise like pauses for a second and then like stares into the ether with this like existential look on his face. And he's like, 
because I'm alone and I'm alone. Like, and I can't, I don't remember what exactly what he says, but it's just this big, like, do you literally like, you have no reason to doubt this guy. He's already identified himself. And literally the only reason that you are asking him to further this charade is so that he will set you up so that you can monologue a little. Like it was, and it was just this big, like, uh, you know, but I also just, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moments in this film for heartache. There's a lot of moments for, um, him, for Ethan to, to show emotions. Mm. And it just never landed for me in the same way that it did say in Mission Impossible 3. Right. Mm. And during that interrogation scene that we see at the beginning and we see at the end where he thinks his wife is going to get killed or was just killed. Mm. Right. Like that, that was emotion. And, and so this just fell flat for me in a lot of ways. I also feel like they tried to inject his character with a little more comedy this time. Like these films mm. have had comedy and normally that's Simon Pegg's role. Right. right? And maybe Luther has like the odd wise crack. Um, but usually not Ethan so much. And I felt like this time they tried to give a bunch of punchlines to Ethan and none of the comedy surrounding Ethan, whether it was them switching from the driver's seat to the passenger seat during the car road, that was the stupidest thing. I, it, it, none of his comedy moments worked for me. I didn't find any of them, I didn't find any of them funny. And so it just kind of, yeah, that just kind of fell flat. But hmm. yeah, so I gave it a six. Oh, pardon me, is a cough of a lung. I gave it a seven. So I came down on, on the previous film. I gave a touch higher. I really enjoyed. I thought he hit his peak in the previous film, but I I wasn't as harsh as you were. So I gave him a seven out of ten. Um, I don't know if it's just the the way it was written in this one that was a step back. I'm not sure if it was because in the previous one where we had Michelle Monaghan where we really saw peak, um, in my in my opinion, Ethan. We really saw Tom Cruise get to peel the layers back. I wonder if that's just was hard to match from the previous film. Um, but I had no real problems with it, just that it had taken a step back, and I gave it a 7 out of 10. Sure. So, uh, you know, he we get to see him past Michelle Monaghan, um, only to get hurt again, and... Um, yeah, I I didn't have any problems with them. Yeah. Um, okay. Villain. Hmm. I gave it an eight. I mean, it it's hard to pin down who is the villain here, right? Is it Gabriel mm. or is it the entity? Right. Um, and so I think, I think the entity makes a far more interesting villain. Yeah, because it is. You know, it's just like what they say in the beginning, like it's, it's, it's everywhere, but it's nowhere. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it is, we see so many amazing moments, whether it be, you know, just the AI messing with their tech or imitating Benji so that they, so that he's giving Ethan directions on where to run and, and cutting Benji and Luther out of out of the calm like that was there's several like oh crap moments yeah there's several like yeah you know it just keeps laying down a stronger card 
and you're like, holy crap. <laughs> right? Do you think, like, <clears throat> do you think the movie, oh, pardon me. Goodness. I Don't do drugs, kids. Without, with the whole day without coughing, and then now I've decided to bring well, it Well, you were saving it, yeah. Yeah. Do you think the movie could have done without the character that Morales played? Like, do you think there could have just been like a completely faceless villain and nothing really pushing, you know, there have to be henchmen to, you know, be adversaries and whatnot. But do you think it could have been done without an actual I mean, f- face of like someone leading some of these antagonists? Like could have yeah. just been strictly AI? I mean, it's interesting, right? Because Gabriel is because of how powerful the entity is and because of, you know, like, it's very apparent throughout that Gabriel is the entity's bitch. Like, he is not, (laughs) right? Gabriel's not pulling any of the shots here. No, no. no. Right? Gabriel's been put in, he's he's the right-hand lieutenant. He's been put in a position of, of power and prestige, but he's not... You know, the the second he's no longer of value to the entity, Gabriel's gone. Um, I think the entity knows that it needs a some physicality. I think it mm. knows that it needs the ability to interact real world. Mm. Um, but I spoiler alert: Gabriel dies at the end of this. So I also don't know, like. You know, so he he plays an important role, but he obviously in in what is part one of a two part thing. He's clearly not in the next one, and so he's not that important. Do you know what I mean? A little bit. Let me just look up the Mission Impossible cast here. Dead reckoning. Okay. Why well, you think he is in the next one? Well. No, let me just take a look here. You think they're going to bring him back? You think they're going to... He is in the next one. What? Does he not die? No, it's 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 the other guy that you were thinking of that uh, that died. The... Uh, the the co- Carrie... The oh, Carrie Ellis. Right. Yes. That, that fool got smoked. Yes, he gets smoked by the helicopter. You're right. Well, it's been four months, right? Uh, well, he got he got his wrist slit or something, or his yeah. his, his neck slit by Gabriel. Right, right, right. So, yeah. but Gabriel does get like a helicopter dropped on him, right? No, no. I'm thinking. No. I'm thinking of the end of Fallout. I'm thinking of how Henry Cavill dies. Uh, Henry Cavill. Ah, okay, now I remember the train, the yeah. train, and the yeah. Okay, so yeah, he is in the next one. All right, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, but you're I don't know, right. I, uh, Everything you're saying stands still, like, or is, is standing put, or right. is valid. Like, yeah, like, Gabriel definitely leads us to believe that he has more control than he does at times, but you, like you said, there's sometimes where you realize there's a bit of a level set where AI comes through and you go, okay, he's at the mercy of this thing. He, yeah. in some ways, has no more control or, or awareness than Ethan Hunt has. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think it adds a fun layer. Right. I think having him there adds a fun mm-hmm. layer. Mm-hmm. I think the fact, like, if you didn't have a physical presence, you couldn't have, like, the bridge scene, right? No. With Ilsa and, and, um, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, 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 Grace. Uh, Grace. Grace, yeah. And so, 
so there's that and yeah you could have a henchman do it but i don't think it would have the same it wouldn't hold the same weight right because this is something that gabriel is doing because it's personal for him Mm. right you know like he's there's that personal there's a there's a history there between him and ethan um so yeah i uh, i don't know either way i gave him an eight i think he was fine Mm-hmm. I don't think he's me- super menacing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's sometimes he tries to be, and maybe it doesn't doesn't quite come across properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, all in all, you know, serviceable. He, I, I wouldn't say he's forgettable, so that helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It'd be an interesting... I, I don't think you could do it, because you, you need like a faceman, a... a, a representative for, to be your antagonist and you can't have it being a faceless AI, but it would be, there'd be some eeriness to it. You know, when we saw the misdirection and, and the, our protagonists going down like an alley and being stuck in the wrong place. Like there's some really sticky, unfortunate situations that the AI could impose on people and it would be quite a menacing, menacing feat. It'd be like a, a, a Tom Cruise episode of black mirror. But um, I gave the villain a seven. You know, I thought he was very solid. Uh, I, I think I'm pronouncing it S.A. Morales. Eze Morales. I'm not sure. Um, you know, we've had some... When you look back, we've had some really good villains in this with John Voight and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And Sean Harris was really chilling. I, I agree. Morales isn't the best that we've seen, but I thought he was solid. And uh, as much as he was level set by the AI... And kind of put in his place and you realize, you know, he's maybe not much further ahead than than everyone else. At the same time, there were some times where he was very cold-blooded and ruthless. And um, it could be chilling at times. So I gave him a seven. He was he was respectable. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, gadgets. You know, this is the category that I put a lot of stock in. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, obviously, all the topics, you know, once you average them all out, they all carry the same weight. Um, but for me personally, the gadgets is a big one. Um, I gave it a seven. I mean, there was, don't get me wrong. There's some cool stuff. We get to see the masks. We get to see a really cool, like when they put the mask on grace and they do that pivot around, that was a well edited sequence, right? It was a great Mm -hmm. transition from grace into what's her face. The, uh, the, you know, the weapons broker. Um, and so, uh, you know, the white widow. Um, and so mm, yes. that, that stuff was cool. Um, Luther's, you know, during the airport sequence, Luther's, um, like facial trickery software that he's running, right. Where he's basically deep faking people in the, in the, airport to look like Ethan to throw these super irritating cops off his trail. Um, that was some cool techie gadgetry stuff. The glasses that identify the key and where the key is. That was kind of cool. The key itself is sort of a fun, like MacGuffin type thing. Um, you've got the, the invisible submarine, at the beginning of the film, right? That's, that's I would consider that gadgety type stuff. Uh, but there was, like, I think I was missing some of the more 
over-the-top, goofy kind of gadgets, right? Gadgets that seem silly, but still fit within the universe. Things like the laser watch, the exploding gum, um, are really, really, like, for me now, a golden standard has become that, like, holographic hallway thing that they Mm. did, right? So that that was cool. Um, So, yeah, stuff like that, I think... I think I was missing in this, uh, but I didn't hate it. Right? It, it 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 definitely could have been much worse. So I gave it a seven. That's fair. I gave gadgets a seven too. I thought, for me, this is a bit of hot take. I felt like it was maybe the best use of fake masks so far in this entire series. Just because when we were having that CIA debriefing with all our main, you know, leads in the organization chatting there. And then when it was that one person we don't know who we saw coming in through security do the face mask pull and reveal, and it was Tom Cruise, I nearly fell out of my chair. I was so surprised and shocked, and it really worked for me. Um, So I thought that reveal was just great. Um, Yeah, he's got those gas grenades that he throws. Yeah, yeah. Like, it just really blew me away. Like, when he threw the gas grenades and we don't know who it is, I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. And then when it's Tom, we go, woo! Thank God it's you. Um, I, I enjoyed the mask machine breaking down. We've seen this a bit in the past where we have some touch of reality with some hiccups coming up with the gadgets. And I thought it was just a fun bit where, it's, where you go, okay, we're so reliant on this thing, you know, to see a bug come up once in a while going, you know what, that's realistic. Like I try and use my laptop for something key and critical and it has a hiccup. So to see that in the same situation is fun. I got a kick out of the retro cassette. You know, it wasn't like, you know, some of the high-tech gaz- gadgets that Ethan gets to accept his mission. It was like a, an actual retro cassette tape. And, um, you know, we'll talk about just different sleight-of-hand things and, and all that kind of stuff going on. But the lighter swap at the end, where Ethan yep. actually ends up having it, that got me. I know it's not really a gadget use per se, but like that bit also got me so i was sitting in my chair going you you know what movie you've you've done me well this is uh, i was entertained by it i (laughs) was entertained by it right so i gave gadgets a seven uh fights in action Mm. yes i don't know how you don't give this a 10 (laughs) um i mean the whole train (laughs) sequence right that is intense to say the least mm. right like when when the train's hanging off the th- thing and it's all you know and there's crap flying and the piano is going to come unhinged and that was really cool and really well done and i remember seeing this movie in the theater in imax and it was just like almost dizzying because mm. you're because of the way it's shot and you're kind of thrown into it um yeah. so that's that's all amazing um, there is, and then obviously the prelude to that is just this incredible, like, oh, I missed the train. I can't get on the train, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, well, follow this, you know, just go where I tell you to go. Right. And the whole, like driving off the, off the cliff with the dirt bike and, and parachuting onto that, like, that's all what you want from a mission impossible movie, right? As the big yeah. crazy stunt. Uh, that's, that's the thing. That's the type of stuff you want. Um, so that's good. 
Um, you know, we get a bunch of car chase stuff in this. And although I said I, I you know, I have some issues with a lot of the comedy that's fused into those scenes, like a lot of issues with the comedy that's fused into that sequence. Um, it's still, it's still great action, right? It's still great stunt driving. It's, it's whatever. I do think the one joke in all there that works for me is I do think it's funny that they end up in a Fiat, right? Mm, that that is the yeah. safe car. Yeah. You have all these like, you know, a Jaguar and whatever else sitting there. And it's like, <laughs> oh, no. This it's the Mr. Bean car. It's the um, Mr. Bean car, yeah. And so, so that was that was cool. Um, but yeah, I, I it was just it was it was thrilling, right? And and they don't try to cram the fights and action down your throat in this. Now, obviously, nothing tops the bathroom fight from Fallout. Yeah, that was pretty solid because it's like perfection. That shot, yeah. that scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think this was still really good and still totally worthy of a 10, uh, even if only just for that train sequence. Right. Yeah. I give it a... What did I give it? An 8. I thought it was very solid. The train, yep, sequence, you right, hit it off the park, hit it out of the park. The motorbike sequence, jumping off and parachuting, just seeing all the behind-the-scenes takes of that is just so nuts. Like, when you watch it and you go, Tom Cruise is just borderline a lunatic like my goodness borderline um borderline borderline <laughs> borderline um the venice chase sequences i really enjoyed um and um you know the last you know the train sequence especially when it's falling off the cliff really felt like the last 20 minutes of titanic all over again mm. but uh overall yeah i enjoyed the fights in action i thought i'll it was never great. let go yeah 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 yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Romantic interest. Mm-hmm. Speaking of never let go. I gave it a nine. Wow. And the reason it's not a ten yeah, okay. is because where in the flying shit is <sighs> Michelle Monaghan? But, so I guess my, like I thought we had moved on from her in the last one. Like I thought we had maybe provided you a did. bit of closure. No, maybe like, you have. L- okay, let me clarify. I want her back. Like I felt like from day one, I think you and I are on the same page. This series is better if she had been in all seven movies. Mm-hmm. But I, I think to me, I just assumed that in the previous film, that was kind of a nod going, okay, this is us wrapping the bow on her. I mean, it. yeah, he had, you know, he's got to walk away. They can't yeah. be together all this stuff, but I'm telling you right now, if in fact, and I don't know if it's supposed to be, it seems like it probably is, if Dead Mm -hmm. Reckoning Part 2 is the finale of the Mission Impossible franchise, if that doesn't end with him leaving IMF and finding some sort of way to be with Julia, I will burn this franchise to the ground. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I don't know what's... (laughs) officially been said or not but do you actually think why why because you because you you have an insider like you're like "Ah, i I don't know what's been said so i can't really divulge anything um but what i will tell you is you won't be disappointed i just mean like even if they say part two is the end of do you really think that will be the end of am i like i feel like tom cruise will be making them till he's 
107. Well, I assume because he's got this SpaceX project coming up where he's going to space, like actually mm. going to space for it, right? Um, <laughs> and I just assume he's going to die while making that film. <laughs> and so I just, I kind of figure that, you know, this is the end because of that. But mm. yeah, I, you know, uh, anyways, so obviously you, you kind of have two. Mm-hmm. You kind of have two love interests going on here because, you know, you my man, Ethan. Um, yeah. And and so you have Ilsa, who yes. dies. She does. And I will say yeah. it is, she has, because of how many films we've seen her in now, and and how often she's sort of been coming along this journey with us, that death hit. Hmm. Like that death sucked, like in a good way. Yeah. Like it was, it was. And again, I think that I think Tom Cruise's performance and the way he reacted, I think that could have been better. But I think losing Rebecca Ferguson as a character, uh, it it stung a little. You know, it was kind of this this. We've had sort of a love hate relationship with her. You know. And what's his face puts it puts it properly. He says, you know, like how many times you gonna, how many times you going to is she going to get herself in trouble and you're gonna pull her back out again, mm. right? So I don't know. So that that kind of hurt. Uh, and then we have we have Peggy Carter. Um, do you you know? Do you get what I'm saying? No, I don't Peggy think you do. Carter. Haley Atwell so. plays Agent Carter, Captain uh, America's girlfriend, in like all of the MCU. Yeah, so no? that one went no? right over my head. Huh? Yeah, so Christopher Christopher Robin's wife? Mm, no. No? You haven't seen you haven't seen Christopher Robin with Ewan McGregor? I've seen it, but I don't remember her. I just remember Ewan McGregor. He, and like and that's just it that's it you don't remember like winnie the pooh i sorry to clarify i remember christopher robin and the winnie the pooh components not his wife oh okay uh yeah so i think grace is fantastic in this i think mm-hmm. you know does she stand out significantly from all the other females that we've had show up and come and go i mean no not necessarily but i i also think maybe you reach a point where it's kind of hard for them to. Yeah. Because there is so many of them and they Mm -hmm. always kind of seemed like in order to not seem like a sexist film and, and just paint the female as a, as a helpless damsel, they always kind of give them a little bit of a, well, she's a, she's in and out of prisons or she's on the run or she's an escape artist or she's a, a Mm -hmm. thief. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like there's always that kind of, like thread running through a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Julia obviously being the exception to that. Um, right. You know, she works in healthcare. So like, <laughs> you know, not, not impressive. Um, <laughs> kidding. Kidding. <laughs> the two people in my life who I talk to pretty much the most both. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so I, you know, yeah, I, I I think I think it's hard to distinguish. Mm-hmm. 
but I also think that uh, I think that she fits this role well. And I like that she is presumably heading off to be an IMF agent. Presumably, yeah. Presumably, right? She's been given the choice, right? Ethan Ethan said, hey, you put me down as a reference in your next job there. <laughs> um, and so uh, presumably she's going to be, presumably she'll show up in part two as Grace, the IMF agent. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I. I don't know what's been said, so I can't. I can't really divulge that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. So I. I gave her them all of them. Yeah. I gave it. I gave them a nine because I. I yeah. still need Julia. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I gave a six out of ten. You know, I did appreciate having some clarity provided. I, in past movies, I really felt really conflicted just because anytime. Especially once Isla or yeah, Isla Faust was introduced, um, there would be times where it wasn't obvious that they were flirting by any means, but there were just scenes with them, and I was just, you know, in typical Hollywood fashion, I'm wondering, okay, am I supposed to, in, um, you know, understand that they're interested in each other, but I don't really understand what Ethan's relationship is with, like his 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 wife from MI three. You know, there was never really a clean cut, a clean separation. We only just got that one whiff where he was kind of stalking her at the end, and it was just like, hey, she's okay. I'm watching from from afar. So, I think just in the previous film, we got a bit of clarity that you know she had made a clean separation, and therefore now he can too. And so I felt okay about moving on with things. But you know, get, we get Isla sucked away and it's pretty brutal it's it's unfortunate it's heart-wrenching and um you know it it's not as strong as the ones where he he was with his wife in the previous one so i gave it a six it wasn't bad it was a hump over the middle and and that's where i'd rank it and see i think that's the thing right is that like yes he's he's she's moved on and he's allowed to move on but she still holds his heart Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And and like, yes, we have these other romantic interests now. Um but they 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 kind of just seem like meaningless rendezvous hmm. in comparison. Do you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like it it's someone who he doesn't want them to die and he's definitely gonna do whatever he can to save them and they're a great kisser and a romp in, in the sheets and you know, whatever else. But it it's not it's not his wife. Right. It's not the person that he was probably going to have children with. Mm. Right? Like, I just... Oh, it was such a good... It was such a good plot point that they introduced. Mm-hmm. And that dynamic, and it's gone, and they've been reluctant to bring it back. And, and if anything, have just done the opposite, right? Have continued to bring her back in these tiny little cameos and then finally like drove the nail into the coffin. Like, no guys, stop asking. She's not coming back. So <laughs> ah, sucks. Uh, s- supporting characters. I give this a 10. Oh, wow. Even, wow. even sans Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Inexplicably. Just literally. Yeah. Inexplicably. Like he just totally went MIA. Yeah. Yeah. He's, well, he's in New York fighting the Chitari with a bow and arrow. Yeah. Um, I will say the greatest, the, the best sequence in this film 
is the airport sequence. Mm, yeah. Right? Is the it's whole, like, you know, yep. back and forth with the, the key and there's the buyer and there, you know, everything else. And, and the cops trying to track him down and the running and everything else. But the best part of that sequence, the best part of the best sequence in this film is Benji dealing with that nuclear bomb in the baggage yeah, area. It was a fun sequence. And you want to talk about like, why did, why did Tom Cruise not show any emotion in this film? Well, because Simon Pegg took it all. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like that scene not only is, is amazing, but it shows like, I, I think Simon Pegg really showed his depth in that scene. Mm. right of what he can do as an actor mm-hmm. and it's amazing it's truly amazing um so yeah i my hats are off to him i think he, th- that sequence is you know v- from him realizing that the thing says you are done but it's not d-o-n-e it's d-u-n-n which is his last name <sighs> and and like and just going through and, and and then essentially saying his goodbyes and apologizing like you know I wasn't able to do, like that's it that's it right like it is so good it is really just so good um so really big fan of of that um obviously the white widow was fantastic to have her back again um you have Carrie Elwes who does he ever not play a dink? Like he might be in cahoots with James Marsden. I, I, it's because he's the guy from Princess Bride, right? He's a guy from Princess Bride, but before it's, I knew him from Princess Bride, he was the the doofy stepdad who was trying to replace Jim Carrey in Liar Liar. See, I feel right. like he's been he started in such like a heartwarming, heartthrob role. And there are a lot of kind of dink, you know, characters that he plays that you'd, he's kind of been typecast and you never really can feel too comfortable and trust him and what he's doing or saying. Right. A lot of people know him from Saw too, and a lot, and uh, Saw oh, yeah. as well, I mean, and, and you would think that he's, you know, and I, I have no problem spoiling this because, it, you know, he movies came out forever ago now um but he's like he's the victim he's the big victim and and the protagonist of of the first saw right like the iconic had to take the hacksaw and soft saw off his own ankle so that he could escape that's him and then at the end of the whole franchise like eight films later or whatever it is, i mean another one just came out and they're just going to keep going but at at the end of what was supposed to be the end of the franchise, you discover that his character is actually the one that has like, you know, after Jigsaw died from cancer, he is the one that has been really calling all the shots. He has been the one continuing Jigsaw's work. Hmm. And so it just kind of, right. Cause he was like offered a choice, right. Essentially uh, come work with me or, or I'm going to let you die. Um, and so I, I don't know, maybe he made the right call. Uh, but, but yeah, so he's in this. And then what's, uh, what's the guy's name that plays the head of the CIA? Uh, Kittredge? 
Yeah, but what's uh, what's the actor's name? But yeah, it's Kittredge oh, is the. It's uh, I've got it right here. Oh come on, I just had it written down. Uh, Henry it is Henry Cerny. Yeah, I like him. I really like yeah, him. He, he's in good. This, he's solid. in this franchise, and he's yeah. been around. He's one of the OGs. He is the OG. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's he's been there since 1996. Yeah. Um, and. Isn't there a thing where no? Who was the actor? There was a different actor that wasn't one of the actors in the first one, like or the second one or something. Wasn't he like one of the main dudes from the show back in the day? I think that was um I believe that was John Voight. Wasn't that John Voight? No. Was John Voight like I don't know. in Mission Impossible back in the I thought there was like something about 70s that because or or whatever. Because it was interesting that he was the villain. Right. Yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know. I remember that though. I remember there there being something, right? Where there was like they brought in a le- legacy actor to to play the role. Yeah. yeah. And then it was such a big big deal because not you know he wasn't just shoot into being you know the same character or some someone that was oh and that was wasn't cut. that the thing that he was he was playing the same character right that mm-hmm. like his character's name Jim Phelps was uh oh it doesn't look like he was in the original but I do think that I do think that Jim Phelps was the name of the good guy, the protagonist, mm, maybe from the I Mission Impossible have, days. I may have had my wires crossed there, but but there's something like that, and I think yeah. I think maybe the original guy does make some sort of a cameo mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. at some point. Anyways, doesn't matter. Um, yeah. yeah. So all in all, I gave it a nine out of ten, or no, uh, ten out of 10. ten. Ten out of ten. Yeah, loved loved the supporting characters in this, and I think Benji's responsible for the best part of the film. <laughs> I gave supporting actors seven. I really love what? Luther. I, eh, I don't have any problem. I don't. I don't have any problem. With oh my it, god! But. It's just, yep, the button still works. I just want everyone to know <laughs> that button still works. And I just added so much into the editing process for this stupid podcast just by pressing <laughs> that stupid button. Uh, it's the number I settled on. I didn't have any problems with it. I thought it was solid. It's just, it's good. Was it perfect? I don't think so. But uh, I really love Luther in this. Man, just, he is just such a perfect fit for this show. And um, I I didn't realize, you know, I, I, I'm not too familiar with v- Ving Rhames that much. I saw him in Pulp Fiction. And to realize that he's come to be this kind of lighthearted, you know, glue that is part of this team. I just love it. Simon Pegg was good. Uh, Vanessa Kirby, the poor man's Lady Gaga. I do actually appreciate her acting. She's very good. And um, I love these opportunities that these movies provide where you've got someone quote-unquote in the mask, but then in reality it's just an actor who plays two different people. In one scene she's playing herself as a character, and in another scene she's playing her, her someone pretending to be herself it's kind yeah. of like the whole face-off situation where you've got actors playing different <laughs> actors you, who are playing. Why'd you say it. that so intensely? <laughs> I mean, honestly, you're just like, 
You channeled your inner Nicolas Cage there. You're like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like when I was in Face Off. <laughs> you can take your face. You can take it off. Yeah, and it was a really good movie. And it was good. And you could, the kids are happy, and you get some popcorn, and you all go home. Um, <laughs> yeah, Grace was fine too. She. Wiggum is in this. He's he's one of the CIA agents. He's in True Detective. He's in Kong Skull Island. I feel like he played the 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 part well. He played you know he he gets under your skin a little bit just because he's doing his job as a CIA agent, and that in turn just makes him being a bit of a stick in the mud and, and getting in Ethan's way. But he does his job. And Kittredge's return is great. You know he. Uh, Plays the part so well because it's a part that he is uh, quote unquote good, quote unquote on Ethan's side, but you can't completely trust him or, you know, you've got to keep your distance. And again, it just added to that whole peak, uh, really well done sequence where Ethan surprises everyone, pulls the mask off, has the gas grenades, and still is prepared and, and a few steps ahead where he's on the phone and uh Kudrich, that is and you go oh dear i think they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna jam up ethan here they've got him and you realize ethan's a few steps ahead and and tranquilizes him but anyway supporting characters gave it a seven now do they do we ever get it explained for us why like because he is doing like briggs is doing his job the cia agent is doing his job but he also you know, like it's alluded to when we're first introduced to him that this is personal for him. Huh. Do we ever discover, right? Because he's like one of his CIA agents is like, do you know him personally? Or do you know him? And the guy's like, not personally. And the guy's mm. like, but it is personal. And hmm. Briggs doesn't answer him kind of alluding that, yes, it is, but that's none of your business. Right. <laughs> and, and, like he's never he's never shown up in a previous one, right? No, I don't think so. So I don't know, and and maybe there's like a small line of exposition there that I've missed and you've missed that explains mm. it. But yeah, I don't, know. I don't know that there is. I don't know that that's ever explained, and it's just kind of this like huh. everyone in this film just has to have a personal vendetta <laughs> against everyone Pierce. else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then finally supporting or not supporting characters intro sequence Mm. I gave it a seven and I was back and forth on whether that whether or not that should be a lot higher or if it should be a lot lower Mm. Um, it's 30 minutes long It's 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 the 30 minute mark when that music starts playing I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but I did think it was incredibly interesting how long the lead was to get into that opening music sequence. It's 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 more surprising than it was a problem for me, but it was very surprising. Like a couple times I kind of did a a pulse check going, "We did I miss the music? Like did I did I zone out for a minute? Am I missing?" No, okay, no. We the music hasn't happened yet. It just seems very overdue. And I and I don't know what it is that determines, like I don't know what the deciding factor is for where you insert that, right? Because several of the things that happen 
basic basically the entire mask and gassing scene which is the last part that happens before mm. the music kicks off really could have also gone immediately after yeah right so yeah. I, so i don't know i don't know what it is that they use like i don't think you could have just done the submarine bit cuz i think you need to like you need a bit more you either need to see ethan or you need to see some sort of imf gadgety mission briefing thing right mm. but as soon as that mission briefing was done i feel like we could have got so i yeah i don't know i don't know what it is that determines that um mm. so it's it's long um which is whatever it's fine it's fine yeah it's okay um and the the gassing scene like the meeting with the director of defense it, it, that's a great scene it's a really great scene amazing Fantastic. um the submarine scene is cool, but maybe a little bloated considering mm-hmm. it doesn't have a lot to do with the rest of the, like they're kind of without telling you, this is the AI doing it. They're mm-hmm. introducing you to the idea of how powerful the AI is. Right. Um, and that it's a little malicious and, mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, but it's long. That's a long sequence, right? Like there's just a lot of there may have been a way to trim the fat there a little bit. Um, and I think also some fat could have been trimmed from Tom Cruise doing poetry night in the dark. Cause that was just like, I don't know. Right. Even like at the end of that scene, like it, it kind of feels like the scene was improvised and the actor playing the delivery guy was also like, Okay, do I go now? Like, are you done? And he just kind of awkwardly walks away, right? And so, like, and they do. I mean, they use that scene to, you know, welcome to the IMF, you made the right choice, right? So they're, Mm. and that's a big theme that kind of flows throughout this. We find out in this one that, that, you know, that that there was a choice, that there's a choice you can make, right? And that the IMF pulls a lot of their people from, people who really should probably be on death row. It sounds like for their like crimes against the government and the nation and national security and everything else. Um, Mm. But you know, then the government recognizes like, Hey, you're pretty good with a lock pick. Do you want to, do you want to come work for us with basically no restrictions whatsoever? Um, yeah, so anyways, I, I thought all that was kind of long. And then, again, I don't know what this bullshit is where they just show you all the big moments throughout the film in a quick montage. Like, that has never made sense to me, and it will never make sense. I don't think there will ever be a moment that I'm watching one of these films, and I go, oh, you know what? Actually, that's a stroke of brilliance. It's like, I'm already, my ass is in the chair. Okay, I bought I'm the committed. ticket. I'm committed. Yeah, like, why are you showing me a trailer for the film? 30 minutes into the film. I'm here. Right? We're do- I'm already doing this. Um, so I think that's dumb. And then they, you know, effed with the music. Right? And it's not it's not the most egregious effing with the music that we've had. It's not. It's not the, like, Nickelback version that was in the second one. But <laughs> it's still... <laughs> It's still because the second one was just like dad rock, right? It's like this. I'm pretty sure that's where they were like, 
just changed it yeah. entirely. It's like this big Bon Jovi thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, but they still effed with it. And I, and I don't know why they don't realize the value don't. of that original song. So I, I gave, I gave it a six out of 10 and I will just hop on your back. Cause I, I don't mind the lengthy intro. I don't mind this or that. I just mind the music being changed. And so I I remember when this director came on board, his, his initial film, he used the original music. And I went, you know, like, great. Not only is it great here in the moment, but if we have the same person moving forward... To me, that means he's going to keep the same recipe Andy has in the last two films, this included. He's messed with the music. And I go, Yeah. It's not just you. Like, you know, everyone has tinkered and played with it. And you go, Okay. You know, usually it's one director per film and it just keeps changing. So it's like, Okay, whatever. I can attribute it to just lack of continuity. But we've got the same homie here who's. He's done it a few times in a row, so I thought, and he started on the right foot. So I just don't know what what he what changed and what changed his mind. So, regardless, I I, I didn't mean to hijack you there. I just got no, really no. animated about this. The music was the problem for me. Yeah. So I I yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and it it's it's just one of those things where like, you know, Keep is the simple. original song, you know, by today's standards, is the original song a little outdated? Maybe. Sure. Maybe. Maybe. But that's the charm that it has. That's, is that yeah. we all know it as the Mission mm-hmm. Impossible theme. Exactly. Right? Yeah. When you are, if you're goofing off with your friends as a kid or whatever, you're on YouTube or, you know, whatever. If, if, you, if you play the Mission Impossible theme or you, you sing it and you're hearing it in your head as you're singing it, right? The bump, 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 bump. The version you're hearing is only ever that original version. Hmm. It's the only version you hear in your head. Because everything else is just kind of like, well, it's a play on it. It's a play mm-hmm. on the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quit, quit playing. Mm-hmm. Right? Quit. quit. If, the, if the next one is the last one, please get this right. Yeah. Please get this right. Go out the way you started. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. That's all our categories. And so, what I like to do, especially because this isn't 007, mm-hmm. and there's not 300 of them to go through, I'm going to quickly give you the the rankings of all the other films up until this point, and then I'll tell you what mine averages out to this time. Uh, so, Mission Impossible, I gave a 7.25. Mission Impossible 2, big step back with a 5. Right, and the long hair and the messed up theme song and the just like confusing plot and uh, Mission Impossible Three had an eight point five. I really loved that one. That's the that's the Julia one. Really loved that one. Ghost Protocol was a six point five. Big kind of step back. It was a little confusing. I think that was the the big part. Is I was like I just I'm a little confused here. Um, Rogue Nation I gave a seven. Mission Impossible Fallout, I gave a nine. Hmm. Love that movie. Love that movie. And it's still my favorite one, apparently, because Dead Reckoning Part One gets an eight. Hmm. 
So the third highest, I think that that you know, it, I think that Mission Impossible Three is better than this one, and I think that Mission Impossible Fallout is still the best one. Hmm. Uh, but if I take all my numbers and I average them up, I end up with an eight. Solid. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It always and it's good. It's yeah. good. But I didn't walk out of the theater going, this is the greatest Mission Impossible movie ever. Right. Right. Yeah. I I thought this might be one of the most entertaining films in the series, to be honest with you. There was something about it. You know, I, I don't have this in front of me, but to me, it seemed like one of the longest run times being at two hours, 43 minutes. Oh, it is for sure the longest. Yeah. And I didn't have a problem with it. No. Uh, I No, it doesn't it the feel best? long. It does not feel long. Is it the best? I'm not sure. Is it the most authentic? It might be, just because you've got everything really, other than the no Michelle Monaghan, you've got everything running on full cylinders, like full tilt. You've got, you know, Simon Pegg, you've got Vin Raines, you know, you've got all these things that in the earlier part of the series, like in one, two, and three, maybe weren't really running in smooth and full form yet, and I feel like you do in this. So, Dead Last for me is MI3. It's a good film, but I gave it a 5 out of 10. It just wasn't for me. I've got MI Ghost Protocol second last at 6. I've got the original Mission Impossible at a 6. I've got Mission Impossible Fallout as a 6 out of 10. And then my top three, so I'm going to flip five here. So my number one, I think, might be Dead Reckoning Part 1. I gave it a 6 out of 10. So I've got Dead Reckoning in the number one spot. MI2, I gave a 7 out of 10. So I've got MI2 in my second slot. What? There's just something, there's just something about it. It was just the John Woo. So it's yeah, just it's so the, corny. It's the, it's the herbal essence. It's the, it's so it's the corny head and shoulders. And it's so corny. But there's something nostalgic about it that, you know, it's simple. You know exactly what's going on. You've got a cliche villain. You've got Tom Cruise, like with the epic mountain climbing and. The, the the pigeons and the, the birds flying in the flames. There's just something corny about it that I just loved. And in third place, I've got MI Rogue Nation. So those are my top three. And uh, we'll have to see where Dead Reckoning Part 2 falls whenever it comes out. Your list is so whack, man. It's it's definitely... You need to take Fallout and, yep. and uh, MI2. And just switch them. And then I don't think I'm upset anymore. But, yeah. Ugh. Well, there it is. Ugh. No, what a mess. What a mess. Uh, what did you watch this week? Uh, part of me is I cough up another lung. Yeah. I yeah. watched It's okay, things. right? Like, you're okay. You That inhaler prescription is coming. It's just... It's in the mail. Yeah, I I watched a 1998 film called Enemy of the State. It's a uh, I guess you call it a mystery thriller, like a whodunit kind of a thing. Uh, a lawyer becomes targeted by a corrupt politician and his NSA goons when he accidentally receives key evidence to a politically motivated crime. So you've got a 1998 Will Smith, Gene Hackman, uh, John Voight, coincidentally. Um, and a few other names and faces. I gave this a four out of 10. You know, it was dated. It was, you know, so-so at best. It was just kind of something that the actors and the premise seemed somewhat interesting to me. 
and it was below the you know in between point is a far out of 10 it wasn't the worst thing i've ever seen but it didn't hold up and um you know it didn't it didn't uh, live up to what i was hoping it could be question for you about john Please. voight john voight yeah john voight is in mission impossible part 1 correct tom cruise is in mission impossible part 1 okay both john voight and tom cruise are big well known Scientologist. I didn't know about the John Voight. That's yeah, interesting. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, buddy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Is, <laughs> oh, no. Is John Voight... Uh, I know John Voight, coincidentally, also was on Oprah doing backflips about Katie Holmes, so they have that in common, too. Uh, no, he's... N- he's... What? John Voight. If it is, it's news to me. He is not. Sorry. Okay. He is You just a, spewed he, out all kinds of things. Tonight. He is he is a devout Catholic. Uh, um what I knew there was something about John Voigt that people like John Voigt was a big John Voigt's a big Trump guy. And he's oh, a big okay. and he's a big like and I think he's got some other like He's got some like poli- like some world views that he's pretty public about that oh okay yeah that may get him like blacklisted at some point from <laughs> getting dropped like it's it's some pretty crazy stuff. Um, okay, so it, it, there goes my question. I was just wondering if like maybe MI one was like the point of origin for one of them, right? If like John oh, Voight introduced, if that's where it like, happened. Hey, but, pal. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh the other thing I watched this week was a 2008 film, uh, Valkyrie, a dramatization of a World War II assassination plot that uh, obviously didn't work, uh, but it was a plot against Adolf Hitler and a group of uh, resistance individuals trying to take him down. Crazy cast. Coincidentally, yeah. we've got Tom Cruise again. Bill Nighy. Um, Kenneth Branagh. Tom Wilkinson, um, the forever a Nazi Thomas Kreshman, I believe he is. He, if you look him up, he's in so many movies as a Nazi. Terrence Stamp, um, Kevin McNally. Uh, anyway, tons of faces, tons of faces. An ensemble cast. I gave it a six out of ten. You know what? Is it great? No. Is Tom Cruise perfect? No, but it's serviceable. A little bit above the halfway point. You know, I gave it a six. It's it's um, it's it's not the the best film with this subject material, but I am. It, it is an interesting uh, story that's being told as a true story or based on a true story, and uh, they don't completely butcher or ruin it, or at least it's uh, it's interesting enough and passable enough. So. Uh, a six out of ten. Again, maybe hadn't aged as well, but uh, six out of ten for Valkyrie. Do you think Thomas what Kreshman is-, is secretly a Nazi in Kong? <laughs> he must be, right? Because an island like feet. that with those kinds of animals and that kind of that is something that the Nazis would have been all over. Nazis were into that like weird sciencey, like the pseudoscience, right? Yeah. Nazis really liked pseudoscience, right? So I, I don't know, right? It's I don't it's know. possible. And Professor Z that he plays in Cars too. Oh, definitely totally Nazis. a Nazi. 
Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't even question that. Third Reich all the way. Um, what did you I mean, watch this I, week? I mean, for him, that was. Don't soundbite that. Don't take that as a. a yeah. Anyways, um, <laughs> still working through the MCU. We uh, we wrapped up She Hulk. Uh, we watched Miss Marvel. Uh, and then we watched two movies, non MCU movies. Okay. Two movies I had never seen. Mm. The first one came out in 1947. Oh, boy. Isn't that always interesting? Like, when one of us says, like, and then a film from the 50s, you're like, oh. Oh. Ooh, you classy SOB. (laughs) Ooh. Like, (laughs) so distinguished. Um, I watched the 1947 Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'd never seen it. Never seen it. What'd you think? So good. So uh, good. Yeah. Like, holds up. Like, there's things in it that are like, you know, okay, it's the 40s. Yeah. Right? But, like, that being said, it was never, it didn't feel dated in terms of its pace or its enjoyment level. And this really funny thing happened. And Brianne said I could share this on the podcast. And, but, but this is just an attestment, a test, a, a testament, a testament. This is just a, this is a testicle to how, <laughs> uh, how engaging and interesting and captivating the film is. We were mm. 15 minutes into the movie mm. where she stopped and turned and looked at me and she said, I just realized this was in black and white. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And she's like, I just, I didn't. And she was like, I was just so focused on the story and everything that was going on. I I haven't once thought of the fact that there's no color. So, yeah. Anyways, super good. Really holds up. I'd give it like an 8 out of 10. Of note, it is interesting because um, the movie itself is in a colorized version, too, for those who want to watch yeah, it. Yeah. That, that's not for me. I'm definitely of the black you know, and white. Yeah. You know. That's um, that's not right. Um, and a, then we watched a 1994 film. Uh, just one more thing on uh, yeah. Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. It, something, uh, so I have no real point to this other than just it's a fact and it's it's kind of weird. But the actor who played the little girl, uh, Natalie Wood. She passed she, away. She passed away under mysterious circumstances while on a boat with some friends on the weekend. And one of the friends and her husband or her boyfriend or something. Well, that's part of the suspicion is it was he involved, but part of one of the people on the boat that weekend was Christopher Walken. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I think officially it's referred to what they were on is referred to as a yacht. Like don't downplay. Everything I read said yacht. <laughs> right. Wow, they were out on a ski do and uh no, it was like this was like, like a yacht party or something, right? And uh it is, yeah. and yacht there was is. they'd been fighting the night before or mm-hmm. something and then she mm-hmm. drowned. But the she big question did. is how did she end up in the water? Right? Yeah. That's that's the yeah. Yeah. And she was young. She was like in her early 40s or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, so then watched a 1994 film, mm. 
We watched the 1994 Miracle on 34th Street. Because I hadn't seen that one either. I'd, I haven't. Ne- I'd never seen either. But it's got, like it's Mara Wilson, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the, the girl from Matilda and Mrs. Delphire and and everything else. And so I mean, this is might be a hot take or might offend some people, but shrug is what I would say to that. Oh my goodness! I mean, shrug, <laughs> shrug now. But as a like, she was the female Macaulay Culkin of the nineties, right? She was that child. Oh, Richard that, Attenborough. Like, okay. Yeah, Rich Na- Richard Attenborough plays Santa Claus. See, get your shit together. Howdy do. Howdy do. And you know what? Meh. Like it's. Yeah. It's there are a couple of updated premises that are better. Yeah, there are a couple of things they do a little differently. Oh, Steve um, Buscemi, interesting. Yeah, Robert Prosky. I, I was just joking. Steve Buscemi is not. <laughs> I know, but actually, Robert Prosky's in it. He plays Mister Lundy, the guy that that Robin Williams is meeting with at Bridges Restaurant in. Mrs. Doubtfire oh, when he's supposed to be having that's... so he plays the he plays the judge, oh, right? And so the, the, there's a couple of updating updated premises that I think are really good. Like they did away <laughs> with they the at the end of the court scene they use a different mechanism to win the case instead of mm. dumping all the mail on the judge's thing, right? They do something a little more believable and a little more heartfelt. Mm. Um. And there's like, yeah, there's one or two other things that are kind of like, I think, slight improvements. Um, But then there's a couple of things that are like just a big, big (laughs) miss, right? Like the, the, the whole, the character of the not really a psychiatrist, company psychiatrist, he's not in this. So that whole Mm. interaction never happens. Um, Chris Kringle never comes and moves in with... Bedford hmm. with the Nate with the lawyer, they're never living together. That's never a thing. At one point, he comes over and babysits Susie. And and hmm. that's why that's when that conversation happens about like, you know, I want a house and stuff like that. But but that's it. That's like the one interaction. So then later on in the film, where Susan and her mom and her mom's like all like, you know, really invested in this guy and wanting to make sure like everything works out okay and stuff. It's like, right, but why are you really invested in this guy? Hmm. He's just some guy you've hired. And why'd you let him come babysit your kid? Like there's this whole, that whole Susan or uh, not Susan, what's her name? Uh, Mrs. Walker, whatever, whatever her name is, her and, and the manager, that whole them trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do? Cause we got to like, how do we deal with this guy? We got to keep him, but we don't want to, we need a place for him to go. And none of that's in it. None of that's in it. The, the, the doctor from the nursing home that Chris Kringle supposedly lives at, he never shows up. Like it's, it's not, it, it, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of things that make it feel less special, which is really weird because it's about 20 minutes longer. Weird. But there's just a lot of stuff not in it. Hmm. Question for you about the original. Yeah. Because the newer one paints it a little more clearly, but still leaves it a little open for interpretation. Mm. Is he 
actually the guy? Or is he a confused old man from a nursing home who, you know, in, in sort of the moral of the movie and the moral of them winning this court case is that, like, sometimes the power of an idea is enough to fight for it and and uh, do you know what i mean like the the, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. so what is your take on it is chris kringle in miracle on 34th street 1947 is he santa claus is he actually santa or is he just a, a old guy with dementia who is essentially harmless and has delusions thinking that he's santa I actually don't know. I, you're putting me on the spot because I haven't actually watched the film from beginning to end in a long time. I'm going to recommend um, it for this holiday season. Yeah, I I quite clearly hear you. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't even know if I want to give an answer. I think I might be kind of like a Schrodinger's cat, where it's just it's both, and I don't need to know which. There's merit to both. Just from a heartwarming perspective of maybe maybe he is the magical Santa or maybe he's just a benevolent old man. No, screw that. You watch it this holiday season and then in January I'm going to circle back and we're going to get to the bottom of this because I need to know. I need to know because like they, they created case law based on right. this. They changed American law. America. America. F it. Yeah. So, I, you know, anyways, I'm just curious. So that's what I watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're starting on the Christmas movies early this year because we're like, ah, you know what? Like with our work schedules and everything else, we always say there's like seven or eight of them that we want to watch. and We usually end up watching like three. So we've started a little early. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you got to. Yeah. 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 I was pushing for July. She said no. We settled on mid-November. Mid-November. Wrap it up, sir. seems reasonable. Well, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Um, whatever you've done you, whatever if you've, you've done if, just, if you close your eyes and you picture what you think we may look like yeah then power brady, to you brady with his six foot long beard that straggles onto the ground me with my perm i'm going um, to i'm just so you know when you say beard i'm going to bleep that out <laughs> no <laughs> 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 Gosh. Uh, oh, pardon me. Pete with his smoker's cough. <laughs> Thank you. For, oh my gosh. I can't, I can't get rid of it. Now. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, being patient with our quote unquote new release. Stay tuned for more uh, votes upcoming. We've got a couple more votes before the end of the year, obviously. And um, stay tuned and uh, just uh, like, follow, subscribe on all our socials below. Check out our Patreon page. Thank you for all our Patreon supporters. We really appreciate you supporting us both financially and just also in your listenership and um, uh, 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 surrounding support. So thank you. And uh, until next time. This episode of The Movie Man is brought to you by Robitussum and Halls (laughs) and maybe some throat numbing spray and whatever the hell else Pete needs. Right now. (laughs) I need a lot of things. 